Let's turn to the book of Romans. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back table there and Jed's standing back there. So if you need a Bible, you can wave your hand at Jed and he'll give you one. Um, But we'll be in the book of Romans. If you get to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. And we'll be in Romans chapter 5. Today is obviously a, a holiday. Um, of course, a, a holiday is, is a day in the year that we have set aside to celebrate something or, or someone of great significance. That's the purpose of a holiday. So there's lots of different holidays, lots of special occasions that we celebrate. There's, there's kind of two categories, I think. There's holidays that sort of that celebrate a, a special event. So we might say like a country's independence. So the 4th of July celebrates this event or or maybe the last day of the year or the first day of the year celebrates this this event or even personal um, holidays that we might have. You know, you, you celebrate a graduation or a retirement. These are things that we, events that we celebrate. Other holidays celebrate people. Think about something like Martin Luther King Jr. Day or St. Patrick's Day. These celebrate people. Even even your birthday is the celebration of you. It's a special holiday for you. So I want to ask the question, what kind of a holiday is, is Easter or Resurrection Sunday? Is Easter the celebration of an event or is Easter the celebration of a person? Some call this day Resurrection Sunday, which is a good name for it, um, especially if we start to fall into the thinking that, that Easter has more to do with bunnies and eggs than with Jesus. It reminds us, no, this is about the resurrection. Um, that we rejoice in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But is Easter simply the celebration of an event? It might sound like I'm kind of splitting hairs here, but I, I would submit to you this Easter morning, this Resurrection Sunday, that, that the wonder of Easter is not found simply in an event, but rather it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. That what we are celebrating today is not just the resurrection, but we are celebrating Jesus, the resurrected one. What we celebrate is, is not just the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but it's, it's Jesus himself who was dead and is alive forevermore. We celebrate him as the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies and promises. We celebrate him as the one who came as the Savior of the world. We say at Christmas time, Jesus is the reason for the season. It's the same thing for Easter, that Jesus is the reason that we are celebrating today. Think about every other holiday that, that honors an, an individual. On that day, we remember who that, that person was. We remember their history. We remember um, who they were. But we also remember what they did. We remember the work of their, of their lives because what they did is in large part who they are. We celebrate Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King Jr. Day because of, of his work for racial equality. We remember him in large part because of the work that he did. We celebrate him as a person for the things that he did. We celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Many people think we celebrate St. Patrick's Day because he invented green beer or something like that. But we celebrate St. Patrick's Day because St. Patrick took the gospel to Ireland. That's who we're celebrating. We're celebrating what he did to, to take the good news of Jesus to a land that did not know him. We think about Christmas and Easter. These are the two big holidays for us as Christians. And they are celebrations. They're not celebrations simply of events. 
They're celebrations of Jesus. That's who we are celebrating. Who he was and what he did. So at Christmas we celebrate who Jesus is. That he is God in human form. We're focusing on on his person, who he is. We celebrate that God in Christ identified with us. That in Jesus, God is the one who takes the initiative to reach out to us and to send his son to be our savior. We celebrate that moment. Maybe it is an event, that moment where Jesus becomes man. And in celebrating that, that moment, we are celebrating Jesus, who he is. At Easter, we celebrate all the days leading up to the death of Jesus, even remembering his entire life. We think about his, his miracles. We think about his teachings and all that he was and all that he is. We remember his crucifixion. We remember his resurrection. We remember his coming ascension. And we even think about the day he returns. We highlight the work of Christ. And in highlighting the work of Christ, we highlight, we worship Jesus. That's what Easter is about. So I think the question then becomes, why should I celebrate the person and work of Jesus Christ? Why is that something worth celebrating? What does it, what does it matter to me? Because there are some holidays that mean absolutely nothing to me or to you. I don't celebrate Boxing Day because I'm not Canadian. Canadians will celebrate Boxing Day because that's an important holiday for them. In Chicago, kids don't go to school on Kashmir Pulaski Day. Now, that doesn't make sense here in Louisville, but in a city with a large Polish population, it makes sense to have Kashmir Pulaski Day off. Of course, in Chicago, it makes no sense to take Oaks Day off of school, but here in Louisville, it certainly does. Uh, we, We celebrate holidays that mean something to me. I don't celebrate your parents' anniversary. I celebrate my wife and I's anniversary because I have connection to that and because it means something to me. So why should you and I care about celebrating Easter? Why should we care about the person and the work of Christ? Why should I be thrilled at the thought that Jesus is resurrected and lives forevermore? Why should we even be here? Why are you here? Why are you celebrating this day? Because it could be pointless. What's your connection to Easter? It could, your, your connection to Easter could be as pointless as, as you celebrating Kashmir Pulaski Day or Boxing Day. Or celebrating Easter could be as important as your own birthday. Because Easter is a celebration of Jesus. It's the celebration of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But it's a celebration only for certain people. It's a celebration for people who are united to Jesus. Let me say it like this. Easter is the celebration of Jesus, but it is only a celebration for those who are united to Christ. And if you're not united to him, then you have absolutely nothing to celebrate. If we're not united to Jesus, there is no point in thinking about this historical event. We might as well get some Cadbury cream eggs and we can go down to the mall and visit the Easter Bunny because there's no point in celebrating this if it's just a historical event. But if if you think about this connection that we have to Christ, this union with Christ, this is what makes Easter important, that, that we are united with Jesus in all that he has done. Union with Christ. One of the most beautiful themes throughout Scripture. And we just want to think about that a little bit this morning. The the reason that we need union with Christ, the reason that it's even necessary, is because of our union with Adam by birth. 
We're all very different in this room. But we all have some things in common. We have one thing in common. Every single one of us is united to Adam simply because we are born. Now, Adam, who, who am I talking about? <laughs> you remember Adam, right? Adam, the first man, the first person that was ever created. Adam was, was God's first creation. And in Genesis 1 through 3, we read the story of, of Adam and Eve, where God creates Adam, and he places Adam in this, this perfect garden. And he's given one rule, just one. Isn't that amazing? God gives him one rule. Don't eat that tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. And Satan comes and he deceives Eve. And she eats of the fruit. And then Adam ends up eating of the fruit of that tree too. And sin and death enter into God's perfect world. And this is what it says in Romans 5.12. If you have your Bible open in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5.12. Read just this verse. It says, Therefore... Just as sin came into the world through one man, who's that one man? Adam. As sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. How many men? All men, all women, because all have sinned. 1 Corinthians 5.22 says it this way, In Adam all die. In Adam all die. And we might say, I didn't eat the fruit. (laughs) Oh, yes, we did. Adam was our representative. He was the representative for all humanity. And as the first human, his sin has become our sin. And because of Adam's sin, death entered into the world. And a death sentence has passed to all men and all women. Because, as the verse says, all have sinned. We were born in sin because of Adam, and if that's hard for you to swallow, then we can all agree that we all have sinned since being born. We have all failed. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, as His Word says. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, because they ate the fruit, God said, you will surely die, and die they did. Eventually they would die physically, but in that moment they spiritually died, and they were separated from God. Because of our sin and our rebellion, we are separated from God, and we are unable to do anything to get back to Him. We are, as Ephesians 2 says, we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. We are spiritually dead. So so we are all united to Adam by birth. And that union with Adam brings death, it brings condemnation, and in the future it will bring eternal death in hell if we are simply united to Adam. That's The only hope that we have is hell because of our sin. Have you ever been in in public with a friend and that friend does or says something ridiculous or stupid or embarrassing and you want to do everything that you can to distance yourself from that person? I am not associated with this person. I don't know who they are. They may look a lot like me, but I don't know who they are. Adam's like that friend, you know. We're stuck with him. Because not only are, are we stuck with Adam, but we are just like him. We do all the things that Adam had, all the things of Adam. So, so we're tied to Adam. And if you might think about Adam and our union with Adam, that he, he's like this, this concrete block. And we're, we're in the ocean, and Adam is a concrete block tied around our ankles. And we're sinking fast. 
because of Adam. He's dragging us down into the depths. He's dragging us down into death. Our union with Adam is killing us and will kill us for all eternity. And we, we, we have to cut these ropes that are tying Adam to us. I don't want to be united to Adam anymore. I'd like to be cut off from Adam. But even if we cut the ropes, we're helpless to do anything because we have no strength in our own arms to get back to the surface. We're going to drown no matter what. I mean, do you feel that? that that's, that's, our, that's what we're born into. I just have a, a daughter who's, you know, not, just over a week, not even two weeks old. She is united to Adam. And, and if nothing changes, that union with Adam results in separation from God and ultimately eternal death. That's what we are all born into. Let's stare into that for a moment. You might picture that image of, of you sinking in the ocean with this concrete block tied to your ankles and no strength left in your arms. Do, you feel, do we feel the weight of that? Let's stare into the, to the face of who we are united to Adam. We are dead. We are damned for all eternity. We are under the wrath of God. And, and we just say, I've got to get rid of Adam. I don't want to be united to Adam anymore. But even if I'm separated from Adam, I don't have enough strength to save myself. So the, the only hope we have now is not simply to be separated from Adam. We need to be separated from Adam, but we need to be united to Christ. We need union with Jesus. We need to be in Christ, as Paul says it so often. My only hope is to be separated from Adam and then and then to be united to Christ who gives me the strength to know salvation. Look, look in, back in Romans 5, and, and let's just read some of these verses. Paul's going to make a comparison between Adam and Jesus. It says, beginning in verse 15 of Romans 5, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following the one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification, made us right with God. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Then he's going to summarize it in two different ways in verses 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass, one sin, led to condemnation, judgment for all people, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Paul in these verses makes this comparison between Adam and Jesus. Jesus who is called the second Adam. And Adam represented us and he failed. And we've been failing ever since. He was placed in this perfect garden and he was given one rule to keep and he failed. And then we watch Jesus at the beginning of his ministry and what happens? He's, he's placed in the desert. Not a beautiful garden, but he's placed in the desert and Satan himself comes and tempts Jesus. And Jesus is victorious. He overcomes the temptations of Satan. Adam's, Adam's transgression, Adam's failure has caused death to, to reign over many. But Jesus' 
one act of righteousness, his, his obedience to the Father, it brings justification and righteousness. Let's, let's break this down a little bit. Be, be, because of our, our union with Adam, because of our, and our own sinfulness, we, we are separated from God. Not only are we separated from Him, but we're in rebellion against Him. And, and all our sin does is it brings death and it brings hell to our doorstep. So God says you've got to pay for that sin. You've got to pay the penalty for sin. And the penalty for sin is eternal death. And God also says, and you need to live a perfect life. And I can, I, I can die for eternity, but I don't really want to. And I, I want to live a life of perfection, but I can't do that. And so I, I'm stuck unless, unless, unless I'm united to Christ. Because Jesus has done everything that I can't do. Jesus comes, the passage says, and he offers a free gift. Doesn't that sound redundant? <laughs> Imagine if I gave you a gift and then asked you to pay for it. We say we're having free breakfast, and then as you walk out the door, I say it was actually $10 a head, so we'll be collecting that at the door where you can't leave till you pay. It's, it's, it's a free gift, though, he says. This is, the, this is what salvation is, because we couldn't pay for it. The gift Jesus offers us is himself, and it's, it's him. It's his, who he is. It's, it's the work that he's accomplished, the one righteous act. It's his death, his resurrection. That's what He comes to give us. Jesus lived this perfect life. He never sinned once. Can you imagine? And then He dies a sacrificial death. He had never sinned. He had never sinned, so the sentence of death wasn't on Him. He, he, he did not have to die. Because in the miracle of God, how was Jesus born? He was born of a virgin. The, the sin nature in, in, did not pass to Him. He was, born, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so he was holy from birth. He had not, was not united to Adam in that sense. He wasn't united to Adam, but he became united to us. He fulfilled all righteousness and he united himself to us. And as the scripture says, he, he took on our sin. He became sin for us, even though he had never sinned himself. And he died in our place. He died as our representative. Even as Adam failed as our representative, Jesus succeeds. He lives a perfect life, and he dies as our substitute sacrifice. When this stuff starts to click, that's when Easter transforms from a holiday that we could care less about into a day that we would celebrate every year and every day of the year. This is when Easter transforms from Boxing Day or Kashmir Pulaski Day into your second birthday is what Easter is. Because the, the death of Jesus is not just the death of Jesus, is it? The death of Jesus is your death. And it's my death. The death of Jesus means that, that, that I don't have to die because Jesus has died. And the resurrection of Jesus is not just the resurrection of Jesus. It's your resurrection. And it's my resurrection if I'm united to Jesus. If we're, if we're united to Christ, then Jesus' resurrection means new life. It means life eternal even when this physical body dies. You think about Jesus and his, his lungs, as it were, breathed out their last, Scripture says, on, on Good Friday. They breathed one last time. But then when they filled with air on Easter morning, and I love that picture of thinking of Jesus, this dead body in a tomb, and all of a sudden his chest rises with breath, new life, in Jesus. The moment that he breathed in new air, 
we are with Him if we are united to Him. And we breathe in new life. If we think about us drugged down by the weight of Adam and by our inability to swim on our own, then we can think about the fact that Jesus, in death, dove to the depths of sin. He dove to death itself and died to then rise again and shoot back to the surface, as it were, with with new life. And in doing that, He comes to the depths where we are. He dies in our place. And He severs the connection that we have with Adam. He cuts the concrete blocks, as it were. And then He takes us into Himself. Like any good lifeguard, He grabs a hold of us and takes us back up to the surface. And we're dead. And we're laying on the side of the beach of the ocean. And Jesus comes and He performs CPR. And He puts His, his hands on our chest And he doesn't pump new life into that old heart. What he does is he takes out the old heart and he gives us a brand new one. He gives you a new heart. And then he comes and he, in CPR, and he, and he breathes life into you. He doesn't give us our old breath. He gives us his breath. He gives us his life. And we are united to him in his death and in his resurrection. But notice this. Our union with Jesus is not like our union with Adam. We are all united to Adam by virtue of being born, by virtue of being conceived. That happens to every single one of us. But we are united to Jesus only by being born again. We are born again only by faith and by faith's constant companion, repentance. We're united to Jesus through faith in who He is and repentance from sin all through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the good news of the Gospel that we can be united to Christ and not by the good works that we do, not by swimming to the surface ourselves, but by being in Christ through faith. The Holy Spirit would open our eyes and we we would see the sin that has caused this separation between us and God. We would see that nothing we can do on our own earns us favor with God. But then by faith we would look to Jesus, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We would see Him as the one who died in our place. And in dying, He makes it possible for us to be disunited from Adam and united to Him. And we participate in His death. And He dies in our place, takes the penalty for our sin. And we participate in His resurrection. And He raises us up and gives us new life in Christ and enables us to walk in a way that would please Him. And it's not by works, it's by faith alone that we would turn from sin and turn to Christ. Now here's the amazing thing. Once we're united to Christ, that's, the, the blessings don't, don't cease. So for, for those of you that, that came here to celebrate Easter because of your union with Christ, let's just think about what he's done. Look at Romans 6, verses 1 through 11. We are, we are, I'd say we're going to scratch the surface, but we're probably not even going to do that with these verses. Romans 6, verses 1 through 11. Let's just start here and launch off from here. But it says in Romans 6, 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So Paul was accused of teaching so much grace that people would just sin so that they'd get more grace. Is that what he's preaching? Verse 2, By no means, or as I grew up hearing, God forbid. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, that's union with Christ language, were baptized into His death. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into His death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead 
by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Notice that Paul speaks of our union with Christ's death and resurrection as a baptism. That we are immersed, we are dunked under, as it were, into the person of Jesus. And being buried with him, then we are, we are raised up to new life. We spoke early that, that Christ's death pays the penalty for our sin and then gives us the hope of resurrection one day. But, but here Paul says that being baptized in his death also kills sin in our lives. It, 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 it does something even totally different. It, it means that we are now dead to sin and enabled to walk in the newness of life. So Paul goes on and he says that apart from Jesus, if we are united to Adam, you know what we are? We are slaves to sin. We have no choice but to sin. That's, that's all we can do. Uh, he says we are enslaved to sin. But united with Jesus' death, we die to sin so that we do not have to sin anymore. Um, imagine working a job with, with a terrible boss. Maybe that's not hard to imagine. Maybe you can think about your job. But imagine working a job with a terrible boss that you, know, you hate everything that this person tells you to do. And you don't want to do it, but you are at work, and so you're at work, and you have to do what this boss tells you to do. And then one day you come to work, and, and this old boss has been fired. <laughs> and you have a new boss. But this old boss, for some reason, is still sticking around. And that boss says, hey, you need to do this, that, or the other. You need to go mop these floors. You need to go move these boxes. What do you say to that old boss? I don't have to listen to you anymore. You're not my boss anymore. You could say to him, actually, you are dead to me. (laughs) That's essentially what, what happens here, is that in Adam we are slaves to sin, and we have no choice. He is our master, and we have to obey him. But if we have been buried with Christ, if we have died to Christ, and we are united with him in that death, We are now dead to sin, and we are alive to God. God is now our master, and we serve him out of love. He gives us this new life that we want to walk in with him. This this beautiful union with Christ, we are devoted to him. We are freed from sin. We are given new life. But but we can go down deeper into union with Christ, because this this is what encapsulates who you are as a Christian is that you are united to Jesus, our union with Christ. That's who you are. The Apostle Paul never uses the word Christian to describe people, but you know he always uses? People that are in Christ. People that are with Christ. Our union with Christ, he never stops speaking about that. And it's the source of everything that we have. In Ephesians 1, we find that from eternity past, we were elected by God, and it says we are elected in Christ. That's how we were elected. The good works that God gives us in Ephesians 2.10, that we were created in Christ, we were created in Christ Jesus. 
to do these good works. It's in Christ that we are to do the good works that are laid out before us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the, the new has come. It's in Christ that believers die. In fact, 1 Thessalonians says that we don't die, but it's in Christ that we fall asleep. Talk about union with Christ. Not even death can separate you from your union with Christ. And not only can death not separate you, but then it is in Christ that we will be resurrected when Jesus returns. We read the first part of 1 Corinthians 15.22, In Adam all die. Hear the whole verse. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ, in Christ, shall all be made alive. It's in Christ that we will rise with new bodies and live and reign with Christ and in Christ for all eternity. It's in Christ that we as a church are united because we are said to be His body. We are all in Christ together and united together as the people of God, as the in Christ ones. We are this family. And the church then strives, Colossians 1.28 says, to present everyone mature in Christ. If you start looking for it, it's everywhere. Our union with Christ is the core of who we are. And as the infomercials say, but wait, there's more. Not only does our union with Christ mean that we are united with Christ, but also Christ is, is in us. We are not simply in Christ. Christ is in us. In a particularly hard teaching in John 6, Jesus talks about our union with him as eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It it was totally gruesome to the Jews of his day, but he's saying, I need to be in you. You need to be completely united to me. I need to be like your food and your drink. He says then, after he speaks of himself being the bread of life, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. And then he says, and I in him. Jesus abides in us. He speaks elsewhere of being the vine and the branches. And he says that we are to buy, abide, if we abide in him and he in us, then we will bear much fruit. Paul tells us that the mystery of the gospel is this. It's a mystery, isn't it? This union with Christ. Here's the mystery of the gospel. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Galatians 2.20, we find the testimony of everyone who is truly united to Christ, of every true follower of Jesus, where Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I don't even live anymore, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live right now in this fleshly body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus is in us. But but he himself also says that he and the Father are one. So he says that we are in him and he and the Father are one. And so we are held in in, in the grips of God the Father and God the Son. We are secure in him. But if if... If Jesus and the, if the Father is in, if they are together, then there's some mystical sense in which the Father is in us. And then Jesus sends the Holy Spirit and says the Holy Spirit will be in you. And suddenly we find that if we want to think about union with Christ, we can think about it forever. And we can celebrate it forever. And, and we will. And it's all made possible 
because of the events we remember this weekend. The reason we can be united with Christ is because of His death and because of His resurrection. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So that through repentance and faith and the work of the Holy Spirit, we might be united to Jesus. We might be blessed beyond our wildest dreams. Let me give you three questions. Are you united to Christ? I know you're united to Adam. (laughs) We all are. We're all born united to Adam. But it's only through repentance and faith that we are united to Christ. The only way the events of the life of Jesus are of any value to us is if we are united to Christ in His death and His resurrection. If not, Jesus is, is not our Savior. And in death and in coming judgment, he will, he will condemn us. He will not save us. He will cast us away. He will not call us to Him. Have you turned from sin in repentance and come to put your faith fully in Christ? If you are in Christ, here's my second question. Have you proclaimed your union with Christ through baptism? We don't talk about baptism a whole lot, but it's here in this passage so clearly. And, and, and baptism, it's, it does not do anything to save us, but it is the, the first step of obedience for someone who says that they have turned from sin and turned to Christ. It's a declaration to the world that a person has died to their life of sin and been risen to walk in a new life. That's what we say when we baptize someone, buried in the likeness of Jesus' death, union with his death, and raised in the likeness of his resurrection, or raised to walk in a newness of life. We're, we're united to Jesus in his resurrection. That's the symbol of baptism, and that's, that's the core of who we are. Have, have you walked into, have, have you followed Jesus in that baptism? That's what he calls us to do. He calls us to, to evidence that to the world. I invite you to think about that. And if, and if you say, I'm united to Christ by faith, then I... I would love to talk to you about baptism. You know, Easter was the day that everyone was baptized in the ancient church. It was on Easter Sunday. They would fast from Good Friday until Easter morning. And then they would be baptized on Easter morning. That's when all the baptisms happened. But it's through baptism that we proclaim that we are in Christ, that we are united to Him in His life and His death and His resurrection. My third question is for those of you that are in Christ, are you living every day as someone who is in Christ? Does union with Christ define who you are? When we start looking at the scriptures and we see the language of in Christ or or with Christ or abiding in Him, we realize that it's everywhere. And it's everywhere because it's the reality that we have to live in. That the truth of Easter is not just a historical fact, but it's something that we were there when He died. We were in Him. And we are raised with Him. And everything that we have is through our union with Him. And and that union needs to control every moment of our lives. That's why Paul talks about union with Christ. And then in in Romans 6.12 he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. That's the first command that he gives in the entire book of Romans. And he won't do it again until chapter 12. But it's rooted in this union with Christ. If you're united with Christ, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. We need to know what our union with Christ is so that we can walk in that union. That's the most basic expression of what God has done for us in Christ. So I invite you with me to let's continue to dive deep into what it means to be united to Christ. 
to, as you read Scripture, to see in Christ, with Christ, abiding in Him, what, is the, what does that look like in my life to be united with Him? Because Easter is not the celebration of an event, remember? It's not, it's not the celebration simply of an event. It's the celebration of a person. It's a celebration of the person of Jesus Christ, who He was and His work. And the only reason that Jesus' life and His work are worth celebrating is if we are united to Him. If we are with Him in His life and His death and His resurrection and His ascension and ultimately His His glorification and everything else that He is, that we can be united to that. And if we're united with Christ, then let's live in that truth and let's celebrate it every day, not just on Easter.